Welcome to another episode of She Looks Like Me. I am so, so, so excited today for today's guest because when I tell y'all she is flying high, I did not realize how lit she was until I got prepared for today. Like I knew she was lit, but then I was like, wait a minute, these receipts are endless. So we have tons to learn today and I'm excited to talk to her. She is the Assistant Manager of Commercial Development at Hartsville Jackson Atlanta International Airport, aka ATL, aka the world's busiest airport, okay? In her role, she oversees the division responsible for generating non-aeronautical revenue, which is basically everything except the airlines, which includes properties and airline airfares, concessions, parking, advertising, external real estate development, air service development, and innovation. Professionally, she serves on the Global Marketing and Communications Committee for Airports Council International North America and has been recognized as Airport Business Magazine's top 40 under 40 executives in the aviation industry. Most recently, she was named to the 2019 Atlanta Business Chronicle 40 under 40 class. She is a magna cum laude graduate of Spelman College and has a master's degree in communication from Georgia State University. The Atlanta native is an active board member with the Andrew and Walter Young YMCA, board member of the Clayton County Chamber of Commerce, graduate of Lead Atlanta. Hello. Okay. Graduate of the KPMG Executive Women in Leadership Program and member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated and a life member of the Phi Beta Kappa Society. Whew. Listen, do you sleep? I do sleep, but you're so good for my, oh, oh, I love being able to have conversations like these because I don't realize how much I've done until I hear it again. And it, it's all about my village. Listen, I just feel like I need to step my game up. I'm, I don't know. I just, I'm like, I feel inspired. I feel like I need to be doing more in my community. And I'm just, listen, first of all, I'm grateful that you had time for me today, for us, for everybody listening. I really want to lean into what this journey has been like for you, what young Jai was doing back in the day, and if she dreamed that she would be doing the things that she's doing now. So before we do that, though, I want to know what is bringing you joy these days. What brings me joy? My family. My family and I are very close. My mom and I are very close. I'm sure you've read on the, the backstory, but my mom was a teenage mom, so we kind of grew up together. And she's so amazing. But what I love about where she is in this season is that she's a yaya. So my cousin who we grew up like sisters, had a baby, had a very traumatic pregnancy and, and delivery. And her baby actually had to come live with me. So I literally became a mom overnight. So her kid, Farrell, my last name, her first name, um, brings me so much joy. So being with her and being with my family is really important. I think after the pandemic, you start realizing that are very important and critical to you. Um, and family is one of those things. There is a lot to learn about individuals who cannot be out and be social. Um, I think we took for granted being able to come to work, go to church, socialize with your friends. So being able to be isolated really puts things into perspective. Um, so my family brings me tons of joy, especially little baby fair. Well, she's not a baby. She'll be four, but she, <laughs> she in my head, she's my baby. So I feel like there's so much you've done in your career that I don't even know where we should get started. But what I would love to maybe think about is 
what Young Jive is like in college? Like who? Oh my gosh, she was so off the chain. So what was I like in college? Um, even if I go back to high school and my friends, because I'm gonna I'm gonna share this link to everybody because that's what I do, right? Not just because I I'm so happy you reached out, but the title of this, she looks like me, is very critical because I stalk women who look like me before there was a LinkedIn, before there was social media. I was into women who were doing amazing things and people of color that were doing amazing things. I'm fortunate enough to be a Grady baby from Atlanta. So my child rearing was weird in blackness. As a matter of fact, when I would drive, well, when our family would drive from our home to church, which was is off of Ashby, aka Joseph E. Lowry in the middle of the, West, the Atlanta University Center, um, my mother and grandmother would point over to Spelman Morehouse and be like, there goes your school, there goes your friends. Like, So she was putting me into the space where I was going to be anyway. So I was seeing myself there as, as a young age. But I've always had really amazing energy. I've learned that people like being close to the sun. People like being close to things warm. I've been telling folks this whole idea of me being jai and fly and all that, that is not new. My mom and my village have always taught me to believe I can fly. There was nothing that I wanted to do, could not do, dreamed of doing that my family didn't say, okay, let's put that behind you and let's get you the proper resources. So I've always been equipped for success. And what my mother and my family couldn't do immediately within their own self, they knew how to use our village or further extended village to get me the things that I needed. So whether it's exposure, uh, resources and training, Girl Scouts, Toastmasters, you name it, um, just being exposed. So my mother believed in exposure. And if you were exposed to something, you can at least deny or accept if you wanted to be involved in it. So I was I was very active. I was in everything. I played basketball. I'm highly competitive. I am a six foot tall person without shoes on. So me being 6'4 any day of the week is fine with me um, at the office. So like this confidence was always very, uh, it was it was cultivated. And my mother is a tall woman, my grandmother is a tall woman. So I always knew how to enter a room. That's also very critical and in, in how to be seen without having to do very much. And then leaving an impression and a brand and a mark on folks. So I learned that very early. So again, I was in Toastmasters. Um, I was doing public speaking at church. I always had the longest Easter speech. All those things were a part of who I was growing up as a young woman. And so being able to now be in a space where other women are looking up to me, I, I hold on to that responsibility of being something that they want to be, being something they look up to, and then also providing them with access to opportunities that weren't necessarily available to me and therefore. So may my ceiling be their floor. When you say that, I can say with like 100% my stamp, my co-sign on that, because I feel like from the day, like literally the day I met you, you were like helping us figure out how to work the airport game, like what opportunities <laughs> might have been there, because that was, it was me, you and Daniel. I don't know if you remember this day, but we uh, sat down at the Applebee's in the airport and these were... Yeah. I, these were some of your more beginning days. I mean, you've been there for a minute now. But yeah, I that was when I first got here. I met with you and Daniel at the Fridays, actually, down here. Oh, um, yes. when, we first, when I first got here, and that was 2015. So you've been along the journey of the, the, the turbulent trajectory that I've had, if you will. Not so much turbulent, but definitely a, a, an ascension that was unimaginable. So no, I remember when we got together, we were, we were there, and I was giving you kind of the ins and outs. What people don't know is that there are over 250 career disciplines at the airport specifically in the aviation industry, um, not even including aerospace and beyond. So outside of being a flight attendant or a crew member for an airline, you have business, 
development. We have biologists that work here. Um, there's a whole group of individuals who are engineers that are working on things outside of planes. There's a sustainability group. There's a group that talks about infrastructure and, and architectural um, development. There are finance people here, obviously. So to understand that this ecosystem is so different and it's uncharted for people of color oftentimes because you don't know that you can be it. So it's kind of my responsibility personally to be like, hey, you know, this, these are things that are very attainable. Um, I think sometimes because of how large our ecosystem is, people are like, oh my gosh, I don't have enough capital for this or I can't be involved in that. There's small business development groups here. There are diversity initiatives here. There are certification opportunities to come in and work in the airport. So I take it as a personal mission, much like Mr. Jackson, as in Maynard Jackson did, to make sure that people of color know about the opportunities that are available because that's where a lot of the wealth comes from. Generational wealth is built here. And in the most, I would argue that most of the generational wealth in the city of Atlanta has been nested and reared from being here at the airport. I love that. And can I just say, every time I come through the airport, I think about both you and Jennifer. <laughs> Jennifer on Gusha Love, because those you are the two women who I know who are making it happen at the airport. And I think about how dope the marketing has been over the last few years, especially. And I know that your team, your expertise, all of that has kind of been involved in that. So I definitely want to talk about that. But before we get there, I want to go back a little bit and talk about some of these receipts. So can you share if you had to pick some of the highlights that you feel like have stuck with you or you feel have helped propel you as far as where you are today? Because just to give people a little bit of context, it didn't just start at Hartsville Jackson. We've got an eight-year career at Turner. We've got marketing campaigns with CNN Presents Black in America, Tyler Perry's House of Pain, TNT's The Closer, BET's Welcome to Dreamland. Yeah. We've got executive producer of BET's first original broadcasting animation. Is it Kasha and the Zulu King? It was called Kasha and the Zulu King. Shout out to that group of people who I work with. That so crazy because that memory came up and that thing was oh my gosh, it was so long ago. Um, and I'm grateful for those experiences. So. I will not say that my experience or my ascension is singular at all. I was very fortunate to get an internship under the Bill and Ruby Lucas program um, for the Atlanta Braves. And the way I got that opportunity was my mother, who is a workaholic. She doesn't work a ton of jobs now because she didn't have to because I do my part. But she used to work at the Atlanta Braves Stadium. Well, it was Fulton County Stadium and then moved over to Turner Field shortly after the 96 Olympics. And I would go be with her when they would get their uniforms and stuff like that when they were in the middle of training. Well, at one of her trainings, I met this woman. Her name is Jennifer Berger. Which is insane because I just connected with Jennifer again back on LinkedIn. And it's so great to see like that she's doing great and she's well. She, but anyway, she was an in-game producer. She worked at the Braves Stadium, Turner Field. And I was like, what is an in-game producer? Because I had no idea what that was. I had to be maybe eighth or ninth grade. I remember I had an earthlink.com or earthlink.net email. That's so that, or Mindspring. It was Mindspring. So it was really, really old. But her exposure, her ability to say, hey, these are the things I do, it really piqued my interest into production. Because at that point, I didn't know what production was, right? So you didn't know what a TV producer or in-game producer was. So I leveraged my mom's relationships. I developed a relationship with Jennifer Berger. Vicki Taylor was also one of the individuals that was very critical. She used to help manage game day entertainment at the Fulton County Stadium or Turner Field. And I got an internship there. Under there, rest of his soul, I met Mr. Aaron. And he was very helpful and kind of helping usher and sponsor me opportunities while I was there. So I I was able to do like in-game events and entertainment. And like when you go to a basketball or football game and they have all the stuff up on the big screen and the names and the birthdays and 
all the games and the giveaways. I was able to do all of that there. So that exposure was really the, the pivot for me because I had no idea that these careers existed. So then I matured and matriculate into Turner as a Turner tip, which was really cool. The guy's name, I think, was Art Evans. I feel like Art's still somewhere in the industry. Last I checked, he was at the Braves, I think. But anyway, so Art, uh, along with several others, uh, helped me get into a permanent role in image management where we were pretty much kind of like the in-house agency of record from a photography and a moving images perspective for Turner. And I moved around from there. So that's where I got CNN Presents Black in America and was able to move around, but I wasn't afraid to do things I had never done before. Um, and I think that's how I ended up here. I knew nothing about planes. I knew nothing about aviation, but I knew that there was an opportunity for me to do something different. And I honestly believe I can fly. Like in my innate ability, I believe there is nothing that I cannot do. Period. Whether it's being in aviation, whether I choose to go into academia after this, whether I choose to move into logistics and freight or, you know, e-commerce or whatever that is, like, I 100% believe that I am equipped with everything that I need to win. Folks are asking me, like, did you ever dream about being in an airport? No. I never even considered being at the airport. I, I didn't even understand the impact of the airport until I got here. Um, and every day I'm learning even more. Like we're Georgia's largest employer. We impact over you know a quarter of a million jobs throughout the region. Uh, the way you get your food, beverage services, your clothes, your shoes, your your anything from cargo freight logistics that comes through this airport. All roads lead to and through Atlanta. So what does that mean? And so being able to be a part of something that has a global impact is amazing. And how many people get to say in their career, like, oh yeah, I did some really cool stuff. One of the coolest things that work I've done has been trafficking for the Super Bowl, which was the lead coordinator for the NFL when they were here um, in 2019 for Super Bowl 53. And it stretched me in a way that I didn't even think was possible. I learned a lot about myself in that space. I learned how to stay balanced and, and keep it fun at work. I literally have fun every day. Now, I do miss my people because, you know, we're in pandemic, so we're spaced out and people are working from home. But like the camaraderie on site, watching the teams, working with the teams, working across industry because I was in sports and then we had to work with the people at Pepsi. And it was truly a, a place that I had to figure out, OK, you've never figured out how to park aircraft. You're going to learn today when it comes to how do you space things out and security and the clearances and all those things. So if nothing has been taken from what I'm saying right now is if your dreams and your ambitions do not scare you, if they don't make you nervous. If they don't wake you up in the middle of the night, they are not big enough. What has kept you grounded, I guess, in that space? Let me rewind because everybody would be like, oh my God, Jai's so great. She is an amazing winner. And one of, the, one of my mentors, Laura Dames, who's like head, almost COO, I think, of Warner Media Group now. She's highly up there. I remember when I was laid off in 2013. I remember Laura saying to me, you are the team that never lost. And I was like, what? Because we don't raise losers, yes? So in my head, when I was laid off, I took it very personal. I took it personally because I'd never been the person who had an issue with maintaining friends, making sure that I was cultivating internal relationships. But the thing that is the best part of that whole process was I learned more about myself in those spaces of what felt like darkness, but what it wasn't was not me being buried. I was being planted and didn't realize that, right? So I learned about my value during that period of time. I had people coming to me asking me to help them on projects. I didn't even know how much I was supposed to charge. So it was like, well, how much do you cost? And I'm like, what are you talking about? So in that space, when I had to figure out, you know, this kind of preneurship, and I'm not going to even call it entrepreneurship, it was survivalpreneurship for me uh, because I wasn't able to generate revenue. We were coming out of the downward spiral from what, everything that was happening, kind of the crash around 05, 06, 07. So things were trying to level set, but then you know the market tanked out from a real estate perspective. 
jobs were just not a plenty. Neither were resources. I had friends who lived in New York and LA who were on like unemployment for years. I don't even remember getting it more than four weeks. And that was only because I had money and savings. I had to close out my IRA and my 401 to be able to survive. And I took hella hit on like my financial investments and all of that because I felt like, okay, I was setting myself up for success. So I literally was at a point where I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And in that moment, I decided that I wasn't going to lose another thing. So in that, I was equipping myself to be successful in whatever it was I was doing. So this idea that I had high trajectory, yes. Was I bred and and groomed to think great and highly of myself? Yes. But was my journey perfect? Hell no. I have to say that emphatically because I think people feel like the trajectory is constant and it's up. It's not. Your trajectory does this and goes into circles and it stops a little bit and then it might go over here and it may be. But the difference is to ride the wave and to bend in those spaces. And I think that's that's the difference between a person who decides to be a winner. You decide, you make the active choice to either be defeated or to get up again and fight one more day. So whether it's, I'm going to get this amount of money because I have a car note, whether it's, I'm going to do this because I want to eat, <laughs> whether it's, I'm going to go out here because I really want to have this opportunity for my family, you have to really think about what's uh, important to you. And quality of life was very much so. Again, I remember my most humbling experience was going to the unemployment labor office on Martin Luther King. I had a black X6, no, black X5. I have an X6 now. I had my Spellman tags on the back. And I remember looking around and I was like, how did I get here? Because I'm not supposed to be here. I'm like, this isn't where I'm supposed to be. But it was in that moment again that I decided that I won't be here again. And so having experiences will truly determine your ability and your will. And it was nothing but faith in my family, 100% that got me out of there. I was depressed. I was very sad. I had friends around me that were doing amazing work. Some of my closest friends are executives and all over all kinds of spaces. And I was like, here I am. And I feel like I was struggling and I, I couldn't understand what that meant. But your internal will is that's exactly what it is. Your own internal will to want to win. You have to. It is what separates us from the uncivilized. Coming out of corporate, did you start your business when you got laid off? No. So I always had the Jai Group. As a matter of fact, my grandmother, rest her soul, she passed away in 2007. But the Jai Group came then. The Jai Group came out of college. So because I'm from Atlanta, there's a special gift issue that you have. Um, you have the gift. It's of access. So I knew people who were interning at Tree Sound Studios or interning at Patchwork or all. So I had these people around me that were doing all this really cool stuff. And I've always had the gift of organization. I've always been able to pull things together and see vision. And I'm a creative by nature. So, you know, graphics, uh, Adobe Premiere, Final Cut, all those things I dibbled and dabbled in iMovie, all those things I could do, which is really great in my current role because I have a team that I leave with creatives and they, they love working, collaborating together because I understand their play. But outside of that, I was a, I was just kind of a triple threat, right? So I could come up with the ideas. I could implement the ideas. I could measure the ideas. I had all these different talent and skill sets. So the Jai Group came from me just knowing and meeting all these random people. And they're like, hey, do you do this? Or do you consult? So it was passion project driven. It was never about, oh, I'm going after this client. Um, a good friend of mine, Nicole Garner, Nicole was you know kind of in the business too when she was finishing up at State and, and really starting the Garner Circle and all those things. And I just was like, oh, this is cool. I could do that too. Or I could have an event or I could host this or I can connect these two people together and be a liaison. So it wasn't necessarily for me about, oh my God, I want to be an entrepreneur to be frankly honest, I didn't know what an entrepreneur was. 
from an enterprise perspective, we were taught to get great jobs and work for someone. And not that anything's wrong with that, because I absolutely love the work that I do here. There are pros and cons to both sides of those things. But what I think, my uncle, who's been a painter all my life, and that's all I ever known, is an entrepreneur. My aunt, who's owned a hair salon, is an entrepreneur. But we weren't calling it that. They were working for themselves and and using their skills and their talents and their hands to build for themselves. So entrepreneurship was not a pass for me. I love the fact that I talk to students now. They're like, oh, I'm an entrepreneurship and business major. I'm like, dang, I didn't even have that. Knowing that we're cultivating that is really, really important because most of your you know, owners of Fortune 500s, 1000s, they didn't go the traditional route. You start talking about Jeff Bestos and all the folks from Facebook and Twitter and all these different, and these different platforms. They didn't necessarily go a traditional route either. But they had the will to want to do something different and be disruptive. And that's exactly what they're doing. So when it comes down to just like that pathing and and knowing and just kind of going with the space, I had no idea that entrepreneurship was going to find me. But I'm so glad it did because it taught me so much about being available, flexible, choosing. I remember I had the choice to make clients because I knew a ton of basketball players. I knew football players. I play AAU basketball. I had friends who went to Georgia Tech. So like they're like, oh, I'm going to do this event. Help me out. And I'll be like, okay, that's, you know, $2,000 just throwing that out there, not thinking that this is, you know, passive income because it wasn't that for me. You just pay me for my time in essence. Like, oh, I'm, I'm doing this book release or I have this event at the YMCA for these kids I'm doing for Halloween. Or, and I was just coordinating, the, coordinating those things because it was great. It wasn't until I was in a position where that had to be how I was generating my revenue that I had to figure out, okay, wait a minute. My income is tethered to a football player. How exactly is this? (laughs) Or or my income is tethered to a radio personality. How is this going to work out? So I think some of it is also understanding that there is value in everything. One of the things that you mentioned that I wanted to make sure that I did not forget talking about, because when I created my list of people that I wanted to reach out to, you were top five for sure. You, Nicole, Tiffany Gatlin, there are a couple others, but definitely one of the things that I have loved about living here for the last 10 years as a, look, I call it an imported peach. Okay, we'll import. (laughs) For the last 10 years is how many amazing, and that's one of the reasons, that's the main reason I wanted to do this podcast was because I met so many dope Black women. I, for so many years of my life, have been in predominantly white spaces. And I was just like, yo, if more people knew all of the amazing ways you can show up in this world as a woman of color, how dope would it be? And so it was it's something about Atlanta. I call it a like a black privilege. There's a black privilege space happening in the mm-hmm. city, just in that, um, like you said, you went to high school with some of the people that you ended up connecting with in business. And you are in this city that has tons of business going on and especially post-Olympics. There's a lot happening in the city, right? right? Like Hollywood, South, whatever they want to call it. Atlanta's Atlanta at the end of the day. And for the last 20 years, we've kind of dominated the entertainment space, the music space. For better or worse, we've at least been in the conversations of the sports spaces. I don't know too much about that, but I know there's a lot happening. I'm a Falcons fan, so don't stress me. I'm, you know, shout out to the new coaches, Art Smith and Terry Fontenot. Let's hope they can. I've been a season ticket holder for over 15 years. So yeah, I have a love-hate relationship, but one of my best friends is also the CMO for the Hawks. So I go to those games too. Um, But to your point, Issa Rae said something, both Issa Rae and Queen Latifah said something. So I'll quote Issa Rae first. Issa said that she didn't really care about, she knew the importance of reaching up and networking up, but she knew the value of networking across. And I might be 
giving cliff notes or shortening it here. It's so important. It's as you ascend and elevate that you make sure that the people that are on your right and your left are doing the same thing. Because at some point you're going to be the CMO or the SVP or the lead or the president or the CEO. And you would hope that those folks who you've been networking with and cultivating with if you've grown together are the same. So when people are asking me things like, oh my God, how did you become friends with this person or that person? We were interning together. We were growing together creatively. We were doing the hard volunteer work together. We were getting walking to Brooklyn to get the cheese pies. I didn't, I mean the cheesecake. I didn't do that, but I'm just saying for purposes of this conversation, I was able to network with at my level. So as we all did Ascension, it was easy as picking up a phone now to be like, hey, we really want to get them to do this. Oh yeah, that's my girl. Or I'm trying to do this at the airport. What are your thoughts? So it was important to do that together. A couple of years ago, when Queen Latifah was here with Kathleen Bertrand, we were at a luncheon. They have a women's luncheon that they do every year. At the luncheon was the, the ladies from Girls Trip. This is when Girls Trip was first coming out and Queen Latifah was kind of doing her rounds and her tours. And she made a comment where she was just like, you know, I don't want to be at a table where I'm the only one that can pay. I want all my my people to be able to pay, right? Like, I don't want to be the one that everybody's always looking to, to be the savior for the group. I want to make sure that I'm elevating my my immediate network so they also are coming into wealth and capital. And it's the same thing. You have to make sure you're seated into your community and seated into your direct circle, right? Because if everybody has the idea that we're going to crowd each other and we're going to win together and we're going to elevate together, you don't have room for losing. And so even in that space, it's the same thing. It is incumbent on you to make sure that your circle is reflective of what your vision and your goals are. And if they're not, you need to change your circle. You don't want to be the smartest person in the room. You want to be able to share knowledge. Because I know there's a saying, if you're the smartest person in the room, leave that room. But I don't always want to be the dumbest person in the room either. (laughs) So so you want to be able to share that that knowledge and those experiences because it's very critical. And in Atlanta, because we are in Atlanta, because we are the capital of all things, because we're the city that's too busy to hate, because we are the city that is literally standing on the shoulders of those who are amazing, the John Lewis's of the world and the John Wesley Dobbs and the Maynard Jacksons and the, and the people to which we have high schools named after. I grew up having Black teachers and a Black pediatrician and a Black nurse and a, a Black attorney went to my church and council members that were a part of my church and my grandmother used to work with you know, Gene Walker and all these amazing senators and all these people the attainable blackness wasn't far from me because I had examples that were in front of me. I grew up looking at Monica Kaufman and all of her style on television, on Channel 2 with my grandmother. I grew up seeing these things all the time. So there wasn't like, there, it, blackness wasn't real. As a matter of fact, I was more shocked when I got to Spelman in 2001 and met girls who had never had black teachers before. Because my whole life, I've had that, right? <laughs> I have friends whose moms were obstetricians and did really cool things. Don't get me wrong. we I, didn't, I grew up not with the Tiffany spoon in my mouth at all, but I don't ever recall not feeling that Blackness was not beautiful, valued, or worthy. And so Atlanta does that for you. Riding past Spelman every Sunday and then being in Girl Scouts, going up there and doing things at the college and watching Blackness in motion was real growing up in Atlanta. So how can one not appreciate the value of what they have around them? When it comes to elevation, you have to do your job and cultivate around you, right? You have to water your grass, their grass, everybody's grass to make sure your field stays clean, not just your little part. What prompted your transition into Hartsville Jacks? Because I think when you first started, now you're in commercial development. When you first started, you were in the marketing, right? Yeah, I was in the marketing group. Really sure. It's, it actually comes off of the tail of the, the seed of being laid off. 
Um, I made sure that my LinkedIn profile was up to date. My mother, who retired from Georgia State after being there for like 24 years, and she picked up a gig actually working in the city of the CFO's office. So she called me one day and was like, there's this marketing gig that's available for the city. I was just like, I don't know nothing about no planes because she was like, it was the city of Atlanta and it was the airport. Well, I didn't understand the dichotomy and ownership of the airport in the city of Atlanta and how all those things work together. So when she kept saying working at the airport, I was like, mom, I'm good. Like I literally had just gotten comfortable with like kind of being on this consulting gig. I'm getting five grand here at a period of time so I can stretch my bills out. Like I'm I'm finally resting in my laurels of Starbucks being my office and all that, right? And so I was like, I'm not trying to go work for nobody, but okay, whatever. That was all she said. She told me about the gig and she always had like my credentials. All my stuff is all the same. It's usually her name or whatever. So she could get into it. I didn't know she applied for the the job in that time. I started looking at the people who were looking at me on LinkedIn and I had a couple people from the city of Atlanta. And I'm like, that's weird. Because I didn't really know people who work for the city because I'm like, I'm not in politics. So that doesn't matter. I don't want to work for the mayor. I don't know anything about that. And there was a gentleman named Richard Etienne who looked me up on LinkedIn from Hartsville Jacks. And so I was like, I don't know him. No big deal. We ended up connecting on LinkedIn. And he was like, hey, you know, we're really able to talk to you, whatever, you know, let's just chat. And so I'm like, oh, this is great. Because I thought this is going to be another consulting gig, right? I'm going to come and go as I please. I'm going to make my money. I'm going to whatever. So I talked to Richard. He was like, you know, I really enjoyed our conversation. I saw your portfolio. We should follow back up. And I was like, okay, no problem. So he emailed me. It was like, hey, can you come to the airport? I would love to meet you, blah, blah, blah. Came down here on a given day. Girl, I had blonde hair because I had been working for Organic Group Stimulator doing activations for them as I was white labeling. So I was still consulting and I had my own business, but I started doing white label marketing with larger agencies. So I did some work with AW Media, which now is 10 Square PR. I did some short-term work with um, Monica from 320 Consulting. So I was doing some work, a divine marketing group. And so I was white labeling, meaning... I wasn't Jai at the Jai Group or the Jai and Co. I was whatever they wanted me to be. So Jai at 10 Square. It was fine. I was working on the project. I was a 1099 employee. I was moving on. So Angela and I just finished up a project with Organics Root Simulator. We'd done like all these bus tours at colleges because they had a new natural hair product coming out. We had done the Ubiquitous Hair Show in DC. Like we were all over the place. So I come in and I have like this curly, my hair is pretty pretty much been always kind of been coughed when I let it grow it. I just, I'm okay with wild every now and then, but it was blonde, blonde. And I was like, whatever. Cause I wasn't coming in for an interview in my head. I was coming in to meet a guy who was going to give me a subcontracting gig. I was doing hackathons with a really good friend of mine named Joey and Joey Womack. He was doing Goody Nation and Goody Amplify for Good and all these things. So I was enjoying myself. So long story short, when I come in to meet with him, he ain't here. I get here. He is gone. He doesn't even work for the company anymore. The lady has me sit down and she's like, oh, they'll be out for you in one minute. I waited for a while, like at least 30 minutes. And I was like, I'm going to go. So while I'm waiting, I Google him and it showed that he had taken a creative director's job back in Miami. So he was from Miami, but he was flying back and forth to see his family. His son was in this crazy design school and he couldn't find a school comparable here in Atlanta. So I'm freaked out now because I'm like, I'm supposed to meet with Richard. Where's Richard? Who is he? Where is he? You know, get in there. And it was actually an interview. But guess what? We always stay ready. So I interviewed for the gig. I get a call back for the job opportunity. And I call Richard on LinkedIn because I'm like, what's happening? Where are you? So long story short, he had already given the recommendation that I should have been his predecessor, I mean, successor. 
So I come in and I get the job and I literally just rock it. So you said create brands. I redeveloped brand for Hartsville Jackson to be ATL from a consumer products perspective. So we did ATL.com. I released mobile applications. We did the ATL ambassador program. The, this is my airport shirt. So really in, involving all the locals here, really creating a sense of place of the airport because you can go anywhere all over, right? You can go to Disney or Orlando and you see all the Disney stuff. You go to DC, you see the White House. You go to New York, you see, I love New York. You go to LA, you see all the palm trees. And we were trying to create a base of sense of identity. So when that big board at the top, right, um, that was a touch point that pretty much over 80% of our passenger traffic that was coming in was seeing. Because if you come through the airport, you got to go up there, unless you're international, but you have to go up that board. So I was really emphatic about like creating brands. And it was such a great opportunity to do it in an ecosystem where people were here. As a marketer, you know, we're always seeking our audience, going to where they are, trying to find them. Well, my people were downstairs. They were right here. <laughs> so I could test things. I could see what was working in Marketplace. So being in the airport again was something that was a part of my divine mission. It was nothing that I intended to do. I was just always authentically myself and the airport found me. I didn't realize how big a deal the board was until our PR guy, Andy, called me one morning and was like, hey, so we need to figure out what we're going to do with the Backstreet Boys. And I was like, what are you talking about? So apparently Brian Luttrell and a couple of the Backstreet Boys were coming through Atlanta. Brian Luttrell and his wife live here. And he was, they were like, he was doing like a radio takeover for Q100. And he was like, you know, well, what is one of the things you would really love to have in the city and blah, blah, blah. He was like, man, listen, I fly in and out once a week and me and my wife are coming back and forth. And he was going back and forth because I think they had residency in Vegas or something. He was like, every time I come, I look up at that board and I don't see anybody. I don't see my face. I really want to be on that board. So they called me and was like, how can we get Brian Luttrell on the board from the Backstreet Boys? I was like, the Backstreet Boys? Like I was still just kind of thrown off. So it turned into a thing. We did a stunt. He came up here. We took their photos. And it got to a point where people started like ad mentioning me because people remember, go back to the Atlanta of it all. People know how to find me because I either interned at a studio or I knew someone or whatever that was, right? So they were like, oh yeah, you know, Johnny the airport girl. So now I'm the airport girl, unfortunately, or fortunately, I'm not sure that's good or bad, but folks are like, hey, can I get in contact with you for this? Can I put my client up here on that? And obviously we have thresholds and criteria and qualifiers, but I don't have to work hard for it anymore because so many people see it that people are willing to do whatever it takes to get up there. Even in the pandemic, I'm, I still get calls out of everything. I probably get more calls about how can I get this shirt? So we're working on that. We're working on actually creating e-commerce because everybody wants this shirt in the city that, that we have. What is not for sale? Not yet. It will be. So we're hopefully we're working on an e-commerce platform for the shirt, for the shirt specifically, because everybody wants a shirt. I think Riley, uh, so when Candy came up here with Don Juan a couple of years, well, maybe a year or so ago, Riley always has the sweatshirt. The, the shirt is hella comfortable too, by the way. Um, but she has the shirt on all the time. So he, every time she's on Real Housewives and she has it on, my phone ended up blowing up because people were like, I want that shirt. So it's now it's a coveted item. So hopefully I can generate some revenue from it. But it's just really about having fun in the workplace. I 100% believe, even if I was working in a pet store or for whoever, that it would be important for me to be able to enjoy my work every day. And if I wasn't doing that, I was doing the wrong thing. If you're not doing that, there is a, a decision you have to make. I wasn't very happy at the gig before I was laid off simply because I felt like I had a ceiling. Wouldn't have fun anymore. The work had changed. The energy was different. The layoff, albeit shocking, nonetheless, it was time. 
And I'm okay with saying that now, but that took me a minute to get there, right? Because you go from, okay, I'm making, you know, 80 plus thousand dollars. I'm settled. I don't have no kids. I'm doing okay to, yeah, so about that. You have none of that. Figure it out. And you never know what is in store for you. Somebody had told me back in 2013 that I would be the youngest, probably one of the only youngest Black women assistant general managers for the busiest airport in the world. I would laugh at them. (laughs) <laughs> so like even if I look at the when you said the 40 under 40 for aviation professionals, if I'm being fair, even that list, I'm one of very few people of color. And mind you, that's all over the globe. There are people of that are on the list from other continents and other countries as well. So I mean it's it's really amazing because you know what I'm doing every day, Simone, and I'm really having fun. And it shows. And that's why I'm like, <laughs> like I can't explain to people like somebody from like Anywhere else, honestly. I get excited in the airport. I'm like, okay, what's what are we doing now? What do they have going on? What kind of campaign? Whole situation from here. Right now, if nothing else, I think um, one thing, I don't care how great and how much fun of a marketer I am, it's all about recovery. And one thing that you can't market out of is fear. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that people are just, uh, there is an uncertain environment. People are not really sure what's happening. Um, they're losing their work. They're lose, Their families are sick, they, you know. And so from a marketing perspective, it's how do we maintain a sense of brands along with having a level of compassion and empathy towards our enterprise, whether it be now is not about directly marketing to the stakeholders who aren't coming to the airport. It's my peers, it's my operators. How do we create an ecosystem where people can recover and still be able to provide these services? So it's, a, it's across the board. It's at every different variable and segment of like, how do you get the industry back? We are one shared community. So whether it's airline engagement, working with the parking operators, dealing with the ride share people at Uber and Lyft, how do we create a premium experience? So y'all want to come back here and travel and do what you were doing before. We were the busiest airport in the world and have been for nearly two decades, you know? So how does that impact the economy itself? People wanting to go out and recover and get back to a pre-COVID normal, albeit I don't even think that exists anymore. I do think it's very critical that we do our part to make sure that folks know it's safe, that we're doing our job to keep the facilities clean. We're taking the, the extended measures to make sure that we're really exercising some safety here. So all those things are now where the job is pivoted. So yeah, this is my airport is important but having a hand sanitizer station is too. So making sure that we have this balance and not be tone deaf. And now is really a lot of where my fun is coming into work. So we're going to go back several years. I don't know what year it was. I know you probably remember it more than I, but our beloved airport very much viral because the culturally aware (laughs) marketing team posted a, was it it on social media that it went viral? It was a flight to Wakanda. So... I had, a matter of fact, I was always infectious with the Black Panther product because I was happy it was being filmed in Atlanta. It was a Black, you know, superhero. I think I'm a superhero in my head sometimes. So it was perfect. And so Black Panther had all the buzz, right? So I remember a friend of mine, Jay Bailey, took like all these kids from APS to go see the movie. And like, we were dressing up in our dashikis and our, nef- our Afrikiti and like going out. And it was just this huge energy in our community not just in Atlanta, but globally about what people were doing for Black Panther. And so one thing about marketing and relevance is to be relevant. And so I was like, how can we 
they're great. You know, how can we keep it together? So our teams would get together every morning and we would figure out like, okay, so what we're going to talk about today. We do a lot of user shared content because user generated content just performs better than the stuff that we manufacture, unless it's a poll or something fun. We had our own emojis, all these things. And my social media manager at the time, Devin Pasco, Devin and I just text yesterday. I love her. And believe it or not, she is culturally relevant. In this case, she was the minority on my team because she didn't look like us, but she kept up with cultural ideas and things that were happening. And she was so dope and cool. And she happens to love Killer Mike and Run the Jewels. So I was like, okay, you're about that life, right? So Devin and I and Reese McCraney, who was the then communications director, we were like, we should do a flight to Wakanda. And so Devin created the graphic. I was responsible for approving it. The thing about approving things is once I approve it, that means that it's on my back if it goes right or, or wrong. But we had leadership that let me be very creative. And that's also what I had a lot of sponsors in the leadership space that were like, okay, if Josh says it's okay, it must be good. But I, I had to build that up and get and get there and prove that to them. So she put the flight up and then we have a social media engagement team who actually goes in and then they respond back to comment. So like, if you're like, oh my God, I left my hat or I can't find this or my grandmother needs a wheelchair. If you put that on our social channels, there'll be somebody to say, hey, this is where you can go. We'll dispatch somebody to you. So those individuals that were replying back and I was like, y'all have fun with it. So they were like, okay, is it going to be Jolaf Rice and Fufu and like all these different things. And then it just turned into us thing. Lupita was was replying back. We had Chadwick Boseman retweeted it literally in a matter of moments. I was not expecting that at all. And then everybody in Atlanta, obviously, because I put it up on my own page, was sharing it on their pages. Then Ludacris put it up and then all my ambassadors on the big board did. So like, it literally was just something that we were doing to become relevant and just have fun because what else were we going to talk about? I mean, how else could we have, how else could we have had a cross-section between what was happening in the movie, being culturally relevant. It was filmed here in Atlanta. The mayor at the time was in love with it. Like it was just such a great opportunity to really showcase how amazing our work was from a creator perspective. And it cost us nothing. I mean, a couple of minutes on on social media and, and Facebook, I mean, and an upload. And it was just so insane. Forrest Whitaker was talking about he's got he's got his bags packed and all those things. And it really just showed you how social creates a community. And if you are timely, if you are creative, if you are authentic while doing so, anything can go viral. I'm so grateful that you are one of several amazing, beautiful Black women in my circle. And I'm so grateful that you were available to allow us to lean into your light, right? Because that's what you said. You were like, be the sun. And I'm here for that. Girl, I'm doing you that. can't be in Be the sun. People are drawn to the sun. Flowers lean into the sun. People are brighter with the sun. So if you can't be anything else, if, if ever in a moment in doubt and you feel like you're not worth it, close your eyes and imagine you were the sun. And, and that will push you through 100%. So listen, I know you are running, your bio says everything basically except the airlines right now at the airport. <laughs> but for those who are like, listen, my spirit resonates with Jai. Are you active on social right now? I am 100% active on social. Facebook's a little tricky because my government name is there, so I'm not going to give that out. But Instagram, <laughs> people can find me on Instagram or Facebook, or Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn at Jai Farrell. So J-A-I-F-E-R-R-E-L-L. I am there. I answer my inboxes most of the time. My assistant, Andrea, keeps me all the way together when it comes to scheduling. You know that. But I do try to answer back because I do feel a social responsibility with access and accessibility of social platforms. I I don't want to be someone who could have talked to the next Michelle Obama, Kamala Harris, or Stacey Abrams and have ignored her 
or him. So I am available there. I also have my own website, flywithjai.com or jaiferrell.com that you can connect with me on. Um, I have, I talk all the time. I do really cool stuff. I'm working on a couple of different projects from a mentorship perspective and accessibility and being able to really provide guidance. Um, I call it the flight plan. So really setting up your plan for success and how do you do that? So yes, that is coming soon. So that's how people can catch me. Jai, thank you so much for your light, for your inspiration, for your transparency and just being able to extend the Black excellence that you are to our listeners. I recorded this episode with Jai earlier this year and I have been sitting on it just uh, patiently, eagerly waiting for the time that you all would be able to hear this and be able to just hear how dope Jai is. She is absolutely amazing and she is a woman of her words and I am so grateful to have her as part of my network. I can't say that enough. What a privilege it really is to be in company with people like Jai who really are about the things that they say. So Jai, Thank you so much for joining me today. If you need any type of hope, inspiration, dopeness sprinkled on your social media timelines, please go follow Jai on her social media platforms. And then definitely check out flywithjai.com. She's dope. Everything she does is dope. Everything she touches turns to gold. And I am so grateful that I am able to have her only a phone call away. So y'all, it's season two. We are back. It's lit. Yeah. So thank you for listening. Until next time, this is She Looks Like Me. 